It is Thursday, March 31st here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to Best Ball Friday, but on Thursday night, the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me tonight are a pair of guests, actually. You might have seen them as co-hosts of the Fantasy Football Fanalists podcast. You can also find them in other spots, though. Bradley Stalder up first is running the Fantasy Data YouTube channel right now. He is at FF Stalder on Twitter. Bradley, thanks very much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Matt. Absolutely. And our other guest is the senior high-stakes analyst for full-time fantasy. He is at FF Muzio on Twitter. He is Billy Muzio. Billy, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us on, man. Appreciate it. And I, I mentioned I came across you guys as co-hosts, but is this like a, a Ross and Rachel situation now? Is it going to be uncomfortable <laughs> that we're back together? No, we're, we're brothers from another mother. We, we've, yeah. uh, we're we're going to be you know pushing our beds together at the FF Expo. There's... There's all sorts of bromances over here. I don't think that's the kind of expo that people are looking for when they go there. <laughs> so how did you guys how did you guys combine from different parts of the country, by the way? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I was in some dynasty leagues and Billy was in those same leagues. And I put out in the chat, hey, I'm going to be doing some projections for players. And Billy privately DM'd me and said, hey, I want to do that, too. And then we we went back and forth about some projections about players and our outlooks for them. And then we said, how are we going to like release these? Because we want to share all of the all of our thoughts about these players. And was like, why not have a podcast? So let's do it. And uh, since that was uh, about two years ago. Yeah. And prior to that, I was just a high stakes junkie, just drafted a bunch of FFPC, FFWC, a lot of different high stakes sites and had never really done projections like by hand, had just done tiers before for like my own cheat sheets while drafting. And um, we made the plunge together and kind of just took off from there from an analyst position. I got to say, I'm a little disappointed you guys didn't just call it Why Not Have a Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) With Billy, it would have been Why Not Have a Podcast. That's true. (laughs) Although I'm drinking LaCroix today. There's no no wine tonight. Oh, there you go. You got to keep it clear (laughs) for the show. Um, So, Billy, you said that you're a high-stakes junkie. How long have you been playing? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say not uh, high stakes alone or just, um, oh, it, whatever high stakes and fantasy and 17 years, so fantasy mm-hmm. football, 17 years, high stakes, probably nine years. Bradley, what about you? Yeah, I've been playing uh redraft for 12 years now, been getting into the best ball dynasty streets over the last few. And, uh, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun, uh, expanding my knowledge in the fancy streets. Cause I was crushing my home league and I was like, you know, I need to like level up here. Uh, it's not, a, it wasn't enough for me to just, you know, be sniped on uh, nine other people in these drafts. They knew that I was coming for them. So uh wanted to expand out more and that this is where we are. I think that's how a lot of us moved from either from, you know, just playing fantasy to, playing fantasy for more money or from playing fantasy to talking about fantasy and writing about it as opposed to kind of now the wave is like uh i'm a data scientist and this game is totally driven by data so it's it's i don't know i'm not nothing against data scientists i am absolutely listening to everything they do and trying to incorporate it but it is nice to hear from another person who's like i was beating all my league mates so i figured it's time to do more with this than just beat my friends at home because they're getting tired (laughs) of it 
<laughs> well, it, it like my moment of leveling up was actually in the hospital of the of my third born. Uh, she was born during COVID, and I I sat there because I I'm a teacher by trade, a math teacher, middle school math, and I'm sitting there. I I've been working from home for a while, and I've been work, doing the fantasy stuff. And I I said, you know, this is the moment. You know, I'm in the hospital. It's all quiet. There's no guests. It's just me and my wife and my newborn. And I said, you know, this is the moment. So you look for like moments of inspiration, like, and I definitely have to say my daughter is, is her birth was one of those moments of like, all right, I'm going to do something for me too. So you had an extra baby in the house and you're like, I need something else to do. <laughs> it was my push present to myself. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I will say our experience was that going from two kids to three kids was easier than going from either zero to one or one to two. Is that what you guys found? Yeah. Um, one to two was for us like night and day difference, right? Like you were able to play like man to man and team up on the one. And then you're still playing man to man, but now you got to keep up with one individually. You know, I don't, I don't, not going to make the plunge of three. We're done at two, but I can only imagine playing zone defense at that point. <laughs> well, we've gotten so good at playing zone defense that we're going to add another one in July. So number four oh, wow. is on, on his way, but <laughs> yeah, so things are going, going pretty well. Well, congratulations on Thank that you. one. Pretty soon, if you add one more, you can do the Jim Beheim matchup zone defense, I think. <laughs> so I'm curious, like circling back to home leagues, because it was like mm -hmm. the same for me as well. But then once I started doing like projections and, and writing and doing podcasts, like I found like I have two home leagues. One, like I never like even come close, like finishing in first, right? <laughs> it's because I'm not, it's like the back burner. I'm never looking at it. And then one of them, it's like... I like force myself to win like every year because I don't want to like everyone. If I lose one game in a week, it's like, I don't hear the end of it for like three, four weeks. <laughs> but like the other one, I just kind of, I'm not as in, involved in it. I just kind of let it sit there and I just check in on like on waiver nights and then set my lineups and I'm out. Right. But have you noticed ever since you started producing more content that your home leagues, you've kind of suffered a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I will get heckled <laughs> or set, get in the private DMS or chats from other league mates and they're like man you had a terrible week like how do you feel about this <laughs> matchup in in ways that they had never done before i actually live streamed our draft this past year and that was a lot of fun including uh the league mates in the home league in this live in the live stream of our draft and that commenting is a lot of fun but also i had to be careful to not give away players that i liked if they weren't paying attention to what i <laughs> what content i had put out earlier in the summer yeah, I'm fortunate. The one fortunate thing about the one truly home league that I play in is that the guys don't know me well enough to rag on me because I haven't lived here all my life. So I got invited over the past couple of years. But there's definitely some like, don't you do this like for a living? Shouldn't you not be in seventh <laughs> place right now? Yeah. Like, yeah, but I actually remembered to set a lineup at 102 this Sunday. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, I should be doing better at this, but uh, there's a reason that I'm not. <laughs> Exactly. You definitely, I think you kind of criticize yourself on this stuff more at this point. Actually, so since you guys started doing this, do you find that you're more paying attention to the players that you recommended to people on Sunday versus the players that are primarily on your own rosters? Because that's something that really has jumped out to me. Or no, I'm more worried about my rankings, like own. where I have someone ranked at for the week on the Fantasy mm -hmm. Pros competition. It's like, 
ah, damn, I had that guy at like running back four and he's going to end up like at running back 44. Right. And it's like, I'm looking at variances in in, in that degree to what, like where it's going to put me in the pack with the rankings against our peers. And, and I'm more concerned about that. Like I have my rankings Mm -hmm. pulled up on one tablet. I have like the, you know, the actuals and like where fantasy finishes, where they're at right now in the current fantasy points. And I'm like tracking and looking at where I have people and like, like life critiquing myself. Like, why did I think that? Like what happened in my process that made me think that this guy was going to have a better week or, Hey, what did I think that it w- ended up working out? So for me, it's a process I do live while wipe up all. And I'll look at like all my scores later. I- I'll mm-hmm. check a couple here and there that are either big money leagues or has, you know, major impact on, on playoffs. If it's mm-hmm. further down the road, but on a week to week basis, it's primarily, where I rank somebody and and what what went wrong or what went right. So I'd agree with Billy on being obsessed about the rankings because I also have those tabs up and checking it with my tablet and cross-referencing and the, the Thursday games in particular, the Island games are most um, engrossing. But I think for my home league, I'm more concerned about who was on the waiver wire that I need to be picking up and how much do I need to to pony up to get those players? Like, because my home league is only 10 teams and they're small rosters, they're, I'm constantly cycling through that bottom of the roster for picking up the gems or the, the running backs if the backup gets hurt. There's not really the ability to handcuff uh, in, the, in the small roster league. So paying attention to those injuries that maybe another league, the league mates aren't paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Well, those are both healthy ways to watch it. I'm, I'm sitting there like, Oh, why did I tell that guy to play that quarterback? Even if it was the right call and it didn't work out. So it's something I still need to get over, but it, it's tough every Sunday. So we're here to primarily look at best ball. Cause that's kind of on the front burner fantasy right now. Um, Bradley, you said a little bit about, about how your best ball playing has been. You've been playing the past couple of years, uh, primarily on underdog or are you playing other places as well? Yeah. Underdog. And then the last, uh, last year also FFPC. And then now Billy's sucked me into a couple FFWC drafts as well. Uh, so yeah. Uh, expanding my exposure, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Billy, I've seen you hard selling those on Twitter. Yeah. I, you know, it comes with the territory. Number uh-huh. one, two, I, I just like the payout structure better than a lot of other sites, you know, especially when you get into the higher stakes leagues, like uh, the world championship, which is like their version of the main event. You can win $10,000 in, in league prizes. If you win a dominator in first place for most points and best record. I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's like a finishing high up in, in like a main event tournament, but yeah, best ball for me. Um, you know, I, I play at FFWC. Of course I play at underdog. Of course, FFPC, it took third in the best ball tournament last year. Um, I was in first up until like Sunday night. And then I'm pretty sure I think Draco. it was Drisco. Yeah, Draco passed me up. It, but I think he ended up passing me up and beating me by like nine or 10 points. And then Colm passed me up, uh, Devontae Adams on Sunday night and passed me by like two points. So dropped me down to third. So, but it was a, it was a pretty, pretty good sweat on that final week. We're sweating about 200 grand on leagues and we ended up, we ended up cashing about 112. So it was a pretty good week. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it ends up well, even though it's it, it, so was it more like, oh, I got so close or was it like, yes, I, I got there. Well, it was I mean, don't get me wrong, like cashing that amount is nice. But but when you're I was expecting more, quite frankly, like especially with like the uh, the 10K leagues we were in, like we ended mm-hmm. up losing by half a point 
and it was a difference of twenty thousand dollars in payouts, and it and it was because Chicago defense put up like twenty six, <laughs> right? And that team we had was stacked. It was like Jonathan Taylor, Najee, uh, Cooper Cup. We had you know Devonte. The team was just loaded, like top to bottom, and we lose to just like a bunch of misfits that were just popping off and a defense putting up twenty six and a half points. Mm-hmm. So it was a little salty, but at the end of the day, we still you know we still cashed in forty grand on that league, but it should have been the twenty. Nice. The game, the luck of the game still gets you at times, but I mean, oh. obviously there's that luck comes in. You've already positioned yourself to get paid. Even if you're, even if the luck doesn't break for you right there at the end. So that's, that's the key. And that's what we're all trying to do here. Now I've talked about it less than I was initially starting to, but the whole structure of the playoffs at the end of the year on underdog, you know, and FFPC, we get to the end of the year and then it's the, the one and done playoff structure, which is, more exciting for advancing but you know obviously less fair i guess for um rewarding the the top teams for the entire season you guys is that something that i don't know do you have a favorite between those two formats or is it just like i know these two formats are out here i'm just going to draft to what's there so i mean there's there's other formats right there's like some sites do the tournament to where it's all 17 weeks and it's just most points Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I like both sides of it. I think it depends upon what you're looking at. Of course, I like the format where you're just going to have the highest points by the end of the time. And then they're just going to total it all up because it's a true testament of a powerhouse team, right? You could have been cold for week 14 or 15 and then heated up again down the end and, and ended up with the most points. So um, I'm always going to lean towards the side where you can score the most and it's going to reward the players with the best teams overall where variance isn't deciding or is not a deciding factor. But when you get in these tournaments, like, like underdog and like FFPC variance is a large determining factor of, of, of pass through rate. And so Mm -hmm. you just have to just know that and just try to get as many, you know, as many shots or as many bullets that you can inside and, 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 and hopefully you've, you finish strong. Yeah. I know with uh, Billy, like we want to avoid chaos as much as possible. And I think that some of the, the sites lend themselves or intentionally want to drive a little bit of chaos like it, it drives attention for them and any attention is is good attention when it comes to like, oh, look at this team. It barely made in then Cinderella story. Right. And we love Cinderella stories. But at the same time, as you know, a player, I want to be rewarded for being the best. So for for not just one week, but for mm-hmm. the duration of the season. So, you know, that those are things that we keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it bugged me initially, but I figured if nobody else is whining about it, then me whining about it's not going to do anything. So might as well just draft to the format and then we'll see how it goes. We'll get to some undervalued, overvalued players, perhaps across sites um, and some early draft ADP. What other trends or habits from early drafting have jumped out to you? And Billy, I'll start with you. It could be something that that people that are doing that you think is a weakness that you're trying to exploit or you know something that has made you alter your own approach when drafting well i think it varies like tournament by tournament format by format of course so let's just good. use underdog for example right now with the the super flex tournament that's going on and everyone's loading up and you know two three early quarterbacks and to me i think it's a i think it's a mistake because you're passing on players like Justin Jefferson Jamar Chase and you're grabbing players like, you know, Justin Fields and, and in, you know, in that tier of quarterback range. And so is it important to have two viable quarterbacks? Yes. Is it important to have three top 20 quarterbacks? I don't think so. I think that you're going to have a better finish 
points wise when you compare your wide receiver one versus the team's wide receiver one who drafted three quarterbacks to start the, the round. And when you look at best ball leagues and we're talking about quarterbacks and the point separation between quarterback eight and quarterback 20, it's minute at the end of the year. But quarterback wide receiver one and wide receiver eight or nine, it could be a large variance. So I'm going to say that, you know, the mistake I see the most common right now is people just going too heavy on quarterback in these early underdog drafts and they're passing on positional players that are elite positional players. You're talking about like the potential wide receiver one, the potential running back one, the potential tight end one of the league. And they're grabbing them for a quarterback two or a quarterback, you know, one slash two. And so I just think it's a, a major flaw in the drafting process. And who knows, I could be completely wrong, but I think at the end of the day, they're going to wish they had taken more positional players. Well, I think one of the fun things about the Superflex tournament is that we can't look at what worked last year and say, this is how you should be drafting. And we're all kind of drafting to see what works this year. Bradley, what have you seen in the the Superflex underdog tournament so far? Yeah, so I have two thoughts. One is that you have to come in with a game plan. If you come in without uh, a strategy of, I want to be able to leave the first four or five rounds with these types of players, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because some players will go in and say, I want to draft three quarterbacks in the first three picks. And as Billy mentioned, that's suboptimal because as, as, as he mentioned, you're passing on elite players. You're, you're getting a player who isn't even going to qualify for your lineup probably. And you're passing on a wide receiver, one, a running back one tight end one in these tournaments, but you also have to be disciplined about, like having your structure for me, one of the ways in which I try to do that is I want to leave the first three rounds with two quarterbacks. And that means I do get a positional player. Does that mean it's going to be a wide receiver or running back, probably a running back in those first three rounds. So two quarterbacks and a running back, but some way, some formula that I leave, I don't not really caring about the players. There are some players I favor more than others based on, you know, my opinions and, and projections and everything, but I also want to target like a top tight end or just wait until later thinking about like the, the range of outcomes for particular players is something that I've been entrenching myself in more over this preseason and trying to think about, well, what type of a type of return are they going to have? So that's the first is come in with a game plan and not uh, overdrafting that third quarterback. But the second is when these new tournaments release, drafting early in the tournament that's where the most edges are going to be found because like for instance the first two days that the superflex tournament came out lamar jackson was going in the middle to the end of the second round yeah and now he's the 102 pretty much uh ahead of mahomes ahead of justin herbert in most drafts so to get him you're competing now if you're drafting Lamar Jackson, the one Oh two, you're competing against other teams who have him in the late second round. And that's a significant loss, but even worse is like Tom Brady unretiring Billy. You have a team that has Brady and Gronk and a few other players that you drafted in the 13th, 14th rounds of these super flex drafts. And now Brady is a second round pick in these drafts. So understanding that drafting early and taking shots on high upside players in these later rounds is an absolute edge that you need to take advantage of. And that could be the silver bullet that gets you through. Yeah. That Brady team was round 18 on Brady round like 13, 14 on Gronk. And you look back and now he's going the middle of round two in all these drafts. 
So you had to take risks, right? Especially when when you're playing in tournaments and you have to look at you know potential upside in these tournaments because you're trying to beat thirty thousand players. So you're looking at one to two percent outcomes, right? And was Tom Brady gonna unretiring at the time less than two percent? Maybe some people put a number on it, right? Mm-hmm. But at the time, most people were avoiding him, right? But why not make a couple lineups, throw a couple teams out there, and make a couple powerhouses and stack it with it when you can? That's always a benefit. But you know, kind of piggyback off Bradley, I'm just going to say, like the number one mistake you see is roster construction, right? And it's whether people are overlooking the roster requirements or they're trying to block another player and they're playing defense in these drafts. But you see sometimes where, and let's not even use superflex. Let's just use a one quarterback. Um, league best ball so we can use like the beginning of the big board draft or you can use ffwc or you can use fbc insert whatever site name you want where we're drafting one and starting one quarterback you see teams who are still drafting four quarterbacks at times or or you know three quarterbacks is debatable still but four is just too many right and you see tight ends the similar scenarios five tight ends right like when you are are, are putting that type of draft capital into a position that you're only going to be starting one player on a weekly basis, you're really reducing your upside at the positions that have the most variance, like wide receiver, where you really need to load up on that type of, uh, of that type of position in order to offset the variance and, and maximize your point totals. And of course um, go for those stacks basically in any format that you're playing. That's the one of the things that infuriates me most though, is when I'm drafting in a tournament draft and somebody right in front of me takes either the quarterback or the top receiver that, matches up with the guy I have and it's like that's the kind of move that would work in a home league uh and it it, it comes from that where people are drafting as though they're drafting against these other 11 people but it's you're not you're drafting against the entire group you're trying to maximize your own team and that's what makes me mad it's not like oh this guy sniped me it's like this guy just made a pick that made both of our teams worse (laughs) and I I know that I can make up for it later by making other picks, but I, I, I'm mad because it doesn't make sense. February snipes just hit differently, don't they? Like February <laughs> they and March snipes. Like it's just like you have this vision and you're building this team and you're even going against the grain, against the ADP, and then they still snipe you like a round early. And you're like, what are you doing? Why is you why are you picking that guy? It's your fourth tight end. <laughs> or I think another mistake is passing up on ADP available stacks. So, for instance, there was a draft uh, a week or two ago I was in, and I was at the 11 spot, and the 12 spot went Trey Lance and Cooper Cup. But Matthew Stafford was still on the board. Why wouldn't you, if you're going to draft Cooper Cup anyways, why don't you take Matthew Stafford in these super flex drafts? It, like, things like that just don't, don't make sense to me. Uh, yeah, I agree. Suboptimal. Right. And w- one like that, I'll look at it and be like, okay, cool. I'm probably going to beat that team. Um, you know, it, obviously not that one particular team in this one particular league, but in general, I feel good about drafting against somebody who's going to be drafting like that. But yeah, it's a, a, that's a good way to, to be thinking. And I like the the point of needing to take risks because even if you're not a max entry player, you're if you're playing these tournaments, you're playing against max entry players. Yes, so they're definitely putting yeah. in enough lineups that they're going to be taking risks on some of theirs. So if you're hoping to beat them, you have to find some, you know, it doesn't mean you have to go draft this totally high risk team, but you got to take some chances. You got to do some things that are different, some things that make you uncomfortable. 
So you guys talked about doing your own projections. Bradley, how important – well, I guess, first of all, do you have your 2022 projections done or at least the initial run of them? And if so, how important has it been to have those for this early draft season? I've started on them. I have not finished them. So I'm not comfortable putting that out. But I will be doing over the course of the next month post-draft as well some projection study halls on the fancy data site. So if you want to jump in and discuss, uh, I'm going to be very open to discussing the the range of outcomes for particular players. One of the things I'm going to change from previous years in their in player projections is not only a median or mean projection, like what is a player most likely going to like their range, but also their higher end outcomes and their lower end outcomes. Like in these tournament type of plays, what's most important is, is not so much where is the average player landing, but your qualifying players in the lineup for best ball are only going to be your best players. So you want to look at what are the, what are the ceilings for players? So I don't like to deviate like a lot from ADP when I'm drafting right now, when I don't have projections and I want it to be like a lens, like projections shouldn't be your end all be all of, I like this player. I don't like this player, but it's another lens through which you want to see a player and maybe it changes your opinion or it changes your view of that player a little bit, but it shouldn't radically change super tiers from one to the other, but it may reveal some upside or reveal downside that a, that a player has that you know, maybe you're blinded by, by your own biases. Yeah. I like to think of it like a shot of reality. Like you might start draft season thinking, I love Elijah Moore. And then you project him and you see where he's going. You're like, well, I don't love him the way the market does. So I guess I'm not going to be taking him as much as I, I thought I would be. And on the other hand, you might start seeing where guys go in a draft. You might think, I think he's going too high. And then you do your projections and you're like, apparently he's not going too high because I haven't projected three spots higher than his ADP is right now. So I guess I do believe in him. Billy, have you done some kind of run of projections at this point? Just tears at this point. I don't like Mm -hmm. to do projections until after the draft, just because Mm -hmm. I find that you got to like start over almost, (laughs) you know, you're moving so much that it's just, to me, it's not quite worth it yet. Um, Tears are the way I'm using and, and, and breaking it down now uh, to save time and still give myself something to work off of. And then, you know, comparing it to ADP and, and I'll go against ADP all the time, right? If I like player X and, you know, nine players ahead of him are, are on ADP, but I know he's not going to make it back to me, I'll take him. I don't care, right? It's about the way I'm constructing my roster, what my stacks look like, what my roster construction looks like. If it makes sense for my team, I don't care what the ADP is, I'll take him. But when you break, like right now, or once we get projections in though, I agree with you, like, that's why I was so high on Debo last year. I was like, man, I just don't see why people are taking Brandon Ike when I have them like two points separated a week with Debo leading him on a week to week basis. Like I just, I couldn't do it. And so I was passing on Ayuk like 99% of the time. Yes. I mixed them in for, you know, diversifying my portfolio and getting some exposure to the player and, you know, not being completely bare, but that's why I was so heavy on Debo last year was because my projections were telling me that, it's going to be pretty close and why not just take the later ADP? Yeah. Debo was not somebody that I landed on in particular, but Cooper cup is another good example. Like Jared and I 
each do our own separate projections. And we each came out with Cooper cup somewhere around like 11 or 12. And we're like, <laughs> apparently we really like this guy this year. So we're going to go ahead and target him where you're getting them. And you, you know, like, like we've said, it, it's, it just kind of helps you. It just adds reality to what your feelings are on the players. There'll be a lot of players that you get feelings on and then the numbers come out similar to your feelings, but it, 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 it helps to actually place these guys where they belong. And I agree like, I don't want to, overrate ADP right now, but I'm also not reaching way away from it because the, the issue with, if I do have a guy two rounds earlier than ADP and I take him there, I could have taken him around later, around and a half later and, you know, still had the player, still had some better players with it. So, you know, on one hand, I want to say ADP means nothing at this point because we don't know anything about these guys yet, but you know, you got to think about the marketplace in which you're drafting too. Yeah. I wouldn't say a full round. If you're going to do half around three quarters around, if you know, they're not going to make it back to you. That's when you want to select them. But mm-hmm. if there's a chance they're going to make it back to you, take that risk and take another player. Yeah. I'm with you. I use that ADP to gauge what the chance is that he could make yep. it back to me. And also, you know, w- once I determine that, it's how much do I care about getting him? You know, if it's if it's yeah. Zach Ertz and I already have Kyler Murray, I'm going to probably lean on the side of taking Zach Ertz. But if it's, you know, somebody else that's not stacked with a quarterback, then I might be more willing to just wait and see. Like a good example is I just did a draft and and with Todd and and we were doing a draft and we started off with Cook and Mixon. Well, we didn't hit our running back three until like round 14, right? And then at this point, we're like in round 16 and 17 turn or 17, 18 turn. And it's like, we need to double tap running back here because it's pretty thin already. And I don't care if these guys are going in round 18, 19. If we don't get these two, like it's going to be pretty ugly. So we'll take them, you know, a round or two above ADP because we like the players and we think they're going to rise in ADP, you know, once things kind of settle down and, and we start getting some clarity in these in these backfields. And so we'll make that kind of jump because it's it's very team specific and 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 based on the need. And do you find at, yourself more willing to do that later in the draft? Oh, absolutely. Oh. Like once you get further on, you can, you know, round two rounds. I don't care. Right. It's it's at that point, people are going to fluctuate so much in those rounds of ADP that it's, it's not going to make or break anything. When you start talking about round one, round two, and you're skipping around, it's, you know, you got to be more. That's where you become the rake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, possibly. But like, (laughs) as, as Billy mentioned, like, you know, a couple rounds, it's not going to be a big difference because like Keyshawn Vaughn or Braxton Berrios could make those big jumps later on. Like you either get your guys or (laughs) like, if you're not going to go get your guys and getting positioned, targeting good offenses um, like thinking about just satellite players on Buffalo satellite players on Tampa Bay satellite players on the LA Rams. These are high pass volume wide receivers, for instance, in best ball mania tournaments where you have to start three. If you're taking a deep cut shot, you want to take a deep cut shot on offenses that when they hit the wide receivers are going to hit pretty hard. So like, I've taken a couple shots on like Brashad Perriman super late or Van Jefferson is one of the later picks, even with Allen Robinson there. Like if Robinson or cup get hurt, Van Jefferson is a wide receiver too. Oh, I love the I love Van Jefferson ADP right now. So we've started talking about some of the players now, Bradley, who are some of your most drafted players, whether it's on underdog or elsewhere? Yeah. So I pulled up my most drafted exposures and in the big board tournament but not super flex my quarterbacks were kyler murray davis mills and trevor lawrence 
and then the Superflex, Mariota, Davis Mills, and Prescott. And I think that Davis Mills is the perfect quarterback three in these types of tournaments because he was a quarterback one in 40% of his games that he started. No love, no respect from the fantasy community. He's being drafted around quarterback 31 last I looked. So to get a player that when he hits, he can be in that top range, even with the bad Houston offense, he's going to be a starter. So if any of those players fail, Davis Mills is is there. Running backs, A.J. Dillon, Keyshawn Vaughn, Travis Etienne, and Joe Mixon are the four running backs in both Superflex and the big board. Wide receivers, Braxton Berrios shows up in both of those. Juju Smith-Schuster, Van Jefferson, T. Higgins, Tyler Lockett. And then tight end, David Njoku, Noah Fant, Dawson Knox. But then the super flex, I went Goddard, Komet, and Waller. And I valued the onesie position more in the super flex because now quarterback isn't a onesie spot. The only onesie spot in the super flex is now tight end. And so I want to sure up that particular one. So I have a lot of Kelsey. I have a lot of Kittle. I have a lot of those more top 12 type of tight ends in the super flex draft. Did the Braxton Berrios and Keyshawn Vaughn shares come before their backfields and their the wide receiver core with the Jets settled out? Or are you still high on those guys where they go? Yeah, I'm still very high on those guys. The Jets are going after wide receivers who seem to be the alpha. Like we look at Tyreek Hill, he's commanding a 25% target share and he's going to play. He would have played mostly on the outside. Whereas Braxton Berrios is going to get, he's going to be pegged in the slot. He's going to take over for Jamison Crowder. So I'm not worried about the role. Neither Keyshawn Vaughn, Leonard Fournette is not a young pup anymore. He has a lot more tread in the tires than people are giving him credit for. And Vaughn is now the number two with Rojo signing in Kansas city. So in a high powered offense, getting Keyshawn Vaughn as the 200th pick in these types of drafts. Yeah. Those are the types of players that you want way late, good offenses. And if things break right, a high opportunity. Now you take Keyshawn Vaughn in particular, knowing that there's also the solid chance that the bucks take a running back within, you know, round three, early round four and and really change the outlook for him to the negative side, right? I don't think so. I think the, the Buccaneers respect veteran presences and Vaughn has now put in his years and there's been some increased trust over the last few years in this Tampa offense. He wasn't playing almost at all his rookie year. And I think that that would be the concern about a first year running back, getting his start in the Tampa Bay offense. I don't think it would take away very much in year one of that rookie's outlook, even if he gets drafted in the third or fourth round. I think I would be more concerned about Michael Carter being nerfed by a third or fourth round running back than Keyshawn Vaughn based on their values. We also got to look at what Vaughn did in the stretch. I'm also high on Vaughn. And, you know, weeks 15, 16, 17, 18, he was being used quite a bit. Yes, there was injuries in this backfield. But now that you've had some clarity, Rojo signed up another team, you know, now you have a one-two punch here between Fournette and Vaughn. Vaughn is definitely more of the pass catching back, which we saw, you know, Brady trust him in that regard, even in big games and has shown capable and has definitely seen like he took a step forward down the stretch. So I also am very high on Vaughn. I think he's actually my most on running back right now because 
he was free at ADP. It's like round 18, 19 right now. Um, Vaughn is one and two for me as well. (laughs) Yeah. So you can literally just add him for free and let's face it. Fournette has, has ran into injury problems throughout his career. He runs hard, right? He plays dinged up. He's might miss a game or two, or, you know, they're just going to work in another back. And I think that um, Vaughn has shown and proven himself last year. I think that he gets every opportunity to be the number two in this backfield. So I'd agree with Bradley on that. Um, My tight ends. Let me take a look here at my ownership. Tight ends right now are Evan Ingram, Cole Komet, and Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, Ricky Seals Jones. Ricky Seals is going in round twenty everywhere, and now he's starting to go. And someone actually took him around eighteen the other day. I was kind of mad because it was <laughs> it was going to be my third tight end in round twenty. And so, but I mean, he just moved into a full time tight end role in this Giants offense, where they have shown that they target the tight end. Right, you have no Sterling Shepard who's coming off of injury. Kenny Galladay's doing Kenny Galladay things. You have, you know, Tony who's there for some competition. But outside that, I mean, Ricky Seals-Jones is going to have 16% target share roughly, I'm going to say, without doing the math right now or looking at projections. But that's for round 20. I mean, that's a pretty significant amount of targets that you're going to get for free at ADP. Cole Komet is my second most owned tight end right now, and it breaks down to opportunity again. You have no you have no Allen Robinson he saw 17.7% target share last year. I'm thinking he's going to see more like 22 this year um, with no other, you know, wide receivers added. Like all they did was add in Brian Pingrel. Like, yes, they'll probably attack the position during the draft, but still he has the rapport that he had with, with fields and he's going to continue to grow upon that. So commits high in my, my ownership. And then Evan Ingram, I was just gambling on where he was going to be. And I was hitting him all the time in around 16. I was hoping it was bucks, but it didn't happen. So yeah. I'll take Jacksonville still though. I like yeah, um, Ingram at three of his four years in the league, 20% target share plus like only last year, I think he had like a 14, 15% target share. I mean, the, the giants spread the ball so much and we saw how hyper targeted Dan Arnold and O'Shaughnessy were in that Jacksonville. <laughs> uh, I said about how you feel about him. <laughs> I, I almost said O'Shag Hennessy, you know, as a, as a reference, but <laughs> if anyone gets that, the reality is Evan Ingram steps in and he's shown for the majority of his career that he commands at least a 20% target share. And I anticipate that the Jacksonville Jaguars offense takes a step forward under Doug Peterson. They're going to be more pass heavy. The defense still probably isn't going to be very good. So they're going to be in game scripts where they're going to be passing more as well. I think this is a, a good situation. I like Evan Ingram, that pick there, Billy. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about him landing in Jacksonville is how much Dan Arnold I drafted early because I was <laughs> anticipating lots of Dan Arnold targets and it was so easy to draft Trevor Lawrence. So I, I guess it's not dead. There's still the chance that Evan Ingram gets hurt and it's underdog. So if Dan Arnold has a hot week late in the season, maybe he works out for me. But uh, Evan Ingram has been an easy bet for me all along because he is that supreme athlete that was a first round pick. You know, I, I don't have to make excuses for why he can rebound and why it didn't work to this point because he's been in the 20s all draft season and even now that somebody paid him 10 million dollars for the coming season he's not moving up so he doesn't have to play well to be fine value where he's going and he does certainly have the ultimate upside to drastically outperform where we're drafting him I also wanted to go back to Cole Komet and Ricky Seals Jones I think I think they bring up a couple of um, interesting points Cole Komet 
is just like as boring a player as you can draft. And you could put together a very good fantasy team by just drafting unexciting players because even the most, uh, you know, even the most knowledgeable um, forward thinking drafters get into these drafts and, and still want to get exciting guys, still see the ceiling. And you'll see players like Cole Komet, Adam Thielen, plenty of others that you can name that are just sitting there falling well beyond where opportunity sets their healthy floor for the season. Well, and Cole Komet's getting drafted as the tight end 16. He's a starting tight end who on at least six occasions were, was an 18% target share player last year with Jimmy Graham. And now and was without any touchdowns, no, touchdowns. Yeah, no touchdowns. I know it's only half PPR, but in a full PPR type of format, Cole Komet could absolutely feast this year. I mean, he had 93 targets last year. Like he people don't a, realize how many a top he had. six tight end. That's what I'm saying on this podcast. <laughs> Cole Komet, top six tight end this year. In a oh, game. there we go. He could. Cole I mean, Komet. he could easily be Dalton Schultz, where we start out the season saying, "Yeah, he's Cole Komet. What's he going to do?" And then by you know week 14, we're like, "Oh crap! How how did he get that many targets and that many points?" It, had he scored touchdowns, he'd be like in my eyes like similar to like TJ Hawkinson, like mm-hmm. in terms of like just consistent target share. It's just the fact he didn't score touchdowns. If he scored touchdowns, he's going to be like a top 10 tight end. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's due for, you know, some, some regression in that category. So we're, he's going to catch more than zero. That's for a fact. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, RSJ, I think is an interesting case because it, it's a matter of really assessing the individual situation you could look at his contract he didn't sign for much and normally you'd say don't overrate that no matter what's around him because they didn't sign him for much and not trusting him with much the Giants don't have much money and this is not a very good rookie tight end class so there's not really a clear path to the Giants bringing in strong competition for RSJ there so I agree that he's getting underdrafted and then Keyshawn Vaughn I, th- I try to be more aware of biases at this point and how they're affecting other people's drafting, especially how they're affecting my drafting. I think Keyshawn Vaughn has been a player for me that I'm still letting bias get in the way mm. where I, you know, I, I thought he was just an okay prospect. And then I probably gave him too much of a boost because he landed in Tampa Bay where there seemed to be some opportunity. And I didn't like Ronald Jones, just like everybody didn't like Ronald Jones. And then Keyshawn Vaughn really disappointed versus that. So now it's like, oh, I was wrong about Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And I, you know, I like to chuckle and be like, oh, look at people using recency bias to pass on this guy. I very well might be stupidly not drafting enough Keyshawn Vaughn, who I think I've only taken a couple times so far. All right, Matt. Yeah. Trivia question for you. On playerprofiler.com, who is the best comp for for Keyshawn Vaughn? Oh, man. I always love to look at those. I don't know Keyshawn Vaughn's, but I'm going to go. How You're going to hate it. You're going to absolutely hate it. <laughs> how tall is Keyshawn Vaughn? Is he 5'11"? Uh, 6'1", maybe? <laughs> Let's say I'm going to go Tony Pollard. Dalvin Cook. (laughs) Dalvin Cook. And one of the things that I I was listening to, a lot of chatter about Keyshawn Vaughn, rookie year versus now entering year three, he entered the rookie year expecting to have the job full time and that he would step in and be the bell cow back. He didn't have to fight for it. And so he was lazy was one of the words that was being used toward Vaughn. And now he's eaten some humble pie. He's come back and been one of the hardest workers on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now. And I think that that narrative, as much as we like to dismiss narratives, I think there are reasons aside from 
just the the most recent production at the end of year two that that Vaughn could hit harder than where he's being drafted at. Yeah, and I mean the narratives are all really all about market price. If we hear that about Keyshawn Vaughn and then he's going in round seven, then you're like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and ignore that narrative. But if you're hearing that and he's going in round 18, it's like, I think I can go ahead and take a shot and see if it works out. I it, Those player profile or comparables are fun. Obviously that comp doesn't mean he's going to be Dalvin Cook because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Damian Williams is, is Joe Mixon because I was looking at those guys earlier. But, you know, the takeaway from it is – Keyshawn Vaughn is not an athletic schlub. He's not somebody that just doesn't fit at running back. In right. the NFL. So that's definitely good to keep in mind. And I always preach removing biases from drafting, right? Whether you like the player, or you don't, if you keep passing on him and you've maybe you've passed on him 30, 40, 50 times. If you would have taken him five of those 50, now you just have a 10% ownership. Now, if he blows up, at least you have some skin in the game too. Yeah, so and, and I, I feel like I have done a good job of stopping myself with those biases with other players and saying like, yeah, I didn't take him the other five times, so I'm going to go ahead and take him now just to make sure I get some. Keyshawn Vaughn's been a block, so that's why I have guys like you on here to show me the light. Now I'll take a few Keyshawn Vaughn shares. I, I hope in drafts that I'm in with one of you so that I can um, <laughs> leave you feeling angry and maybe cause you to, to mispick that next round. <laughs> well, in fact, there have been a few underdog drafts where I will intentionally enter the draft choosing players that I feel strongly against. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I almost pre-peg the players that I don't like the range of outcomes for this player, but I know I need some exposure. So why don't I take a couple shots here and there? Just being intentional about diversifying even just a little bit against those biases and recognizing like I have – one percent two percent three percent i need a little bit more to to have the skin in as billy mentioned earlier i'm going to be devil's advocate and say if his analytics look like a bum if his tape looks like a bum he's probably a bum and you can pass him (laughs) (laughs) fair enough (laughs) we'll get to some zero share type guys in a minute but bradley you bring up the interesting point of diversifying how focused are you on diversifying and i mean like are there specific thresholds that you keep yourself south of or you get yourself north of? Like, am I not going to 25% on anybody? And, you know, I'm assuming that it, it changes by portion of the draft where guys earlier in the draft are, are just naturally going to be a little bit lower in, in uh, roster grade. Yeah, pretty significantly lower. I mean, it varies by position. So those tight ends that I mentioned, like, I either I have a lot of heavy shares uh, in the superflex drafts of those elite tight ends, but after that it it drops to like twelve to fifteen percent or eight percent of just rotating through guys who I view in the same light: Zach Ertz, Pat Fryermuth, Mike Gesicki. Like they may have different ranges of outcomes, but they're all being drafted around the same spot, and I want to vary my exposures if I'm not getting those top tier tight ends and is there a specific threshold i don't have a number but most of the players that are near the top for me uh, maybe i have like one or two or three players total that i have in the 30 plus percent but other than that most players are almost every player like fifth through 20th is 20 23 or less yeah, I kind of noticed because I you hear the 
discussion of diversifying and you kind of, I don't know if you, maybe it's just me envisioning it, but I think of some guy with a spreadsheet and he's like, Oh, I've got 16% of this player. I really want to get 18%. So I'm going to make sure to take two more, but I just finished looking at my own player shares from that initial big board tournament. And I went through and looked at the, the rostered rates on all these players. I'm like, just making sure that I was picking differently through the drafts just kind of brought me to these sensible numbers. Like I don't have, you know, I don't have a, like eight guys that are 30 plus percent. Um, I have a whole range of people that are in that like 20 down to 13% range. It just kind of, well, that's why draft position matters too. in diversifying right. like over the course of, let's say 20, 30, 40, 50 plus drafts that you're doing, you're going to get the 101 in certain places. You're going to get the 112 and the 101 in the one quarterback drafts. That's probably going to be your only opportunity to draft Jonathan Taylor. Like it very rarely is Christian McCaffrey going to be drafted 101. So if you're in the 101 spot, you're going to take your share of Jonathan Taylor there. You're, very rarely are you going to see an exposure of 102 to, to Jonathan Taylor. So you're probably not going to get more than a 10% share of Jonathan Taylor or in the Superflex, more than a 10% share of Josh Allen. I say take it deeper. Your um, ownership of players is going to vary depending upon the amount of leagues you enter to it, right? Like if you are doing 10, 20 leagues, you you might have higher ownership percentages than a lot of these other players do because they have, 200 leagues right mm -hmm. and and just the opportunity that presents itself to draft other players or to draft that player is so wide that there you're going to be having such you know so much larger variance in your player pool where if you're only doing five to ten leagues like you might own 40 percent of one player because you like him that's fine go get him so it, it one it varies upon the amount of leagues you're doing per platform two it for me it varies based upon draft capital right like mm -hmm. I had I had never had put a number on it until last year, and and one of my draft partners, Todd Burrow, said I don't like to take more than fifteen percent of anybody in round one. I don't want to put myself on a hard number like that, but twenty percent, eighteen percent, sure, I'll be within that those that area, right? Because if you if you have thirty or forty percent of let's just say that you're drafting Cooper Cup this year and you're taking him everywhere that you can because he had such a huge year last year, and you have thirty percent Cup, and what happens if Cup gets hurt? Now 30% of your lineups are done, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're doing 200 lineups, that's a lot of lineups that are dead. So for me, that 15 to 20% range in round one, I think is a safe number. But as I start getting down in tiers into like rounds four, round six, round eight, round 10, round 14, round 18, I'm willing to take more gambles and have more ownership on players. Like I had a 27% ownership of Debo last year because he was going in round 10, 11 at sometimes in these early drafts start sneaking up to nine to eight, you know, start sneaking up the board. But you look at players now, like players like Kenny Galladay, who had a horrible year last year, but he's going in, in, you know, non super flex leagues right now, round 11, round 12 in some of these, right. To where I'm okay. Having 20% or 30% ownership of that player, because even if he doesn't hit great, I only, I only spent around 11 or 12 on him. Right. Or somebody like Marvin Jones right now, right. He's going, he's after all these signings, he's dipped to around 18, 19 in some of these drafts. And for me, like I'm fine owning 30% of Marvin Jones in around 18 and 19, because if it doesn't work out, then great. I only spent around 18 or 19 pick on him. So I think it, it varies by round and it varies by format and it varies by how many leagues you're doing in each of those. 
Billy, how much have you been looking to diversify in terms of your lineup builds? You know, the, the exact allotments at each of the positions. Let's focus on the one quarterback formats as opposed yep. to Superflex, which is obviously very different than what most people play. Yeah, I'll do two drafts a day on average, and I do completely different builds. So that way it diversifies not only my portfolio, but also the construction, right? So mm -hmm. I'll do, you know, I'll do a either two elite tight end build, and I'll grab two two top tier tight ends. And then my next build, I'll grab four that are like between rounds 14 and 18, right? Or I'll come back around and I'll say, I'm going to start zero wide receiver on this one, uh, or, or it means our zero running back. And I'm going to go five straight wide receivers. And then I'm going to hammer down some, you know, RB twos. I'm going to ha hammer down on like Clyde Woods Hilaire and Miles Sanders and AJ Dillons and, and just load up on those values, you know, as we hit those middle rounds or the next draft, I'll just go two solid anchors and then, start filling in the blanks from there. So I usually, like I said, I'll do two drafts a day usually. And when I'm doing those completely different drafts, when I, when I approach each one, Bradley, is it similar for you in terms of the roster builds for me? I'm not tracking it as closely. I'm letting the draft come to me. Like if a top tight end, like Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews comes to me, I'm more likely to go with the two tight end build. <laughs> like that's, what's going to determine for me, you know, if it makes sense for me to take Kelsey, it wouldn't make sense for me to take three tight ends or it wouldn't make sense for me to take four tight ends. So I'll allow the draft to come to me and then the players on that team determine uh, almost like what route I'm going to go down. So, yeah, with the diversification of the draft spot that I'm in, usually that lends itself to to normalizing out. I'm not I'm not watching very closely. I'm just making sure I'm falling within a reasonable parameter. Like I, I know that I want at least three, maybe four quarterbacks. And I know we were only talking about one suit, one league, but two or three quarterbacks in a one quarterback league and two or three, maybe fourth tight end. But once again, where the players are coming to me, like if the ADP is dropping so significantly, if there's a great value, like I don't want to pass up, a player that continues to fall. Like I saw Amon Ross St. Brown, who's a player like I'm a zero share player on. I, I'm going to tie in, lead you a little bit, Matt, to the next topic. But Amon Ross St. Brown, in one of my drafts, it was the day after DJ Chark signed, and he fell from ADP 77 to now uh, the 97th pick. And that was just too far of a fall, in my opinion, even with the, the DJ Chark signing. So I allowed that to come to me, and now I have a wide receiver at that point that maybe I was ambiguous in that draft at, at what position I was going to take. I'm going to take a wide receiver, in particular that one that fell. Yeah, he's been a zero share type for me, but I agree. Those are particularly good spots to work against your bias and get your shares of those guys that you don't want when they fall well past ADP, and you're like, all right, all right, this is time for me to just forget about what I think of him and just get a get a share here uh billy who have been some of your zero share types so far Devonte williams and derrick henry again really yep I, it and surprised me to hear anybody in like round one or one two turn range would fit the zero share category for you yeah it's just you're not i don't think you're gonna see a return on investment Devonte williams i mean i think he's being drafted at peak if not higher than peak and i was talking with pete Overzet earlier today on on my show about it. And it was, you're drafting him as if no one else is going to be there the entire season. Yes. The talent is there, but 
more than likely Melvin Gordon's probably going to resign there still now. If he doesn't, they're going to draft somebody in round two or round three who's going to compete for for uh, carries here. Broncos have never been a team to just outside like what Terrell Davis back in the day have never been a team to just hammer down 20 plus carries on a running back inside the system. So they typically spread the ball around and go with a committee approach. I just don't think you're going to see the return on investment of him in round one. I saw him go at 103 the other day. I was like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Right. And at that point, <clears throat> he's being drafted ahead of Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, Derek Henry, even I don't like him. I'm still taking him ahead of Javante. And and I think that it just breaks down to what happens when Melvin Gordon resigns or what happens when they draft somebody like Walker or somebody else, right? What's going to happen to his ADP? He's going to dip a round and a half, two rounds, and then you're going to be able to draft him at a discount versus everybody who had him earlier, and you're going to be able to have powerhouse teams because now all those players who took him in round one passed on players like Joe Mixon or passed on players like Najee Harris, and you have both of them on your roster now. So I wait until players like that, the dust settles, the, the hype settles, and then I'll take the discount later. I can, I'm, I'm definitely, I agree with hell no on Javante Williams at 103. <laughs> um, I do think that there's a chance that if they don't re-sign Melvin Gordon, that he can, his upside is Jonathan Taylor and not to the same degree, but he is a similar player and could be in a similar situation in what could be a really strong offense with Russell Wilson. So having not been in on Jonathan Taylor for kind of the same reasoning as with Javante Williams just now last year I'm not I'm not big on Javante Williams but I also wouldn't say I'm totally out I I got some shares earlier before it started sounding more like the Broncos were re-signing Melvin Gordon but I I can also I I, I, one of the tough things I guess about this time of year is that realizing that there is lots of drafting time left like you might be looking at one particular tournament and say I'm gonna miss out completely on Javante Williams but as you were talking about with the dust settling, the two paths from there, if you do just miss out on Javante Williams at this stage for the next tournament, which is going to be after the draft. And once we know what that backfield will look like, you know, maybe you missed out, but how much higher can he climb if things do break right for him in terms of work? Exactly. He's not and going on to the play. other hand, if things do go the way you said, he is going to fall down the board and then you're getting him at a discount. So two major differences and i understand you were just using it as like a comparison between john jonathan taylor and javante but offenses lines like indy has a, a far superior line than denver denver's not bad by any means but doesn't have the offensive line that he does too now they have russell wilson versus you know carson wentz so they were leaning early and often on jonathan taylor where now they just paid and traded russell wilson they're going to want to let russ cook right even though he already burned down the stadium on his first try but they're going to let him air the ball out and that's going to eat into Javante Williams as well. His, the amount of reps he's going to see. So I just think from a game script perspective, the amount of money and investments that they just gave Russell Wilson signifies to me, they're going to pass the ball more than run the ball. Yes. He'll still be a part of the game plan. Yes. He'll still be, you know, an active piece of this offense, but he's not going to see 20 touches a game. See, I think that Javante Williams could return that, but it's not worth the risk right now in drafting. So I think he has the upside of Jonathan Taylor. Absolutely. We saw him be the running back one in the one week where he was, where Melvin Gordon was out. 
and, but it was because of his pass catching as well. And Russell Wilson, yeah, he may not be dumping off, but he's going to dump off a little bit more than he was five years ago when he was more mobile. Russell Wilson, just not as mobile. However, Billy's hitting on it. I think that the, the game script is going to be more in favor of Denver. Now they're going to be in competitive games where they're going to have to have the big plays downfield, the Cortland Sutton's, the Tim Patrick's, the Albert Aku. Okay, Wugbanams. <laughs> A-okay. <laughs> um, they're, they're downfield threats, but that's where Javante Williams could get a lot of field to, to stretch if he's being dumped off to. I think there's a lot of upside for Javante Williams, and we saw that last year. But at this point, I agree with Billy. It's just why risk it? He's one of my fewest drafted running backs just because I'd rather have the Najee Harris's, the Austin Ecklers, the... Who else is even going around there? Like Joe Mixon, Dalvin Joe Cook. Mixon. Alvin Give Cook. me Joe Mixon over Javante Williams right. head and shoulders based mm-hmm. on what we know right now. Yeah. Javante Williams has been a fade for me. He, he was somebody, especially early on when we just found out that Melvin Gordon was going to hit the market. You know, he was somebody I didn't want to be completely out on. I wanted to get a couple of mixed in just in case he did have this absolute ceiling season but I, I agree with you guys the other players going in that range I don't remember the last time that I drafted Javante Williams and we'll see um, what happens with him going forward Bradley anybody else on your zero share list yeah I've got two quarterbacks Tua and Sam Darnold you shouldn't draft Darnold at all and then Tua I think he shouldn't be drafted ahead of Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins and, and that's what sometimes is happening right now with that Tyreek Hill signing I think that there's a significant range of outcomes where Tua fails and he becomes the low end of what we saw from Baker Mayfield. There, there are concerns that Tua is just not going to be good enough to get the ball downfield to be a, a fantasy. Like if you're, you need to draft, if you're drafting him as your quarterback one, that's a mistake. Or even as a high end quarterback two, I think that's his ceiling running backs, Dalvin cook, Michael Carter. I think those are fragile situations cook is a post apex running back in a second contract on an offense that just resigned Kirk cousins to a massive deal and and i was doing some research on kevin o'connell he's the offensive coordinator for the last couple years for the rams who ran both years he was offense coordinator for the rams the second highest pass rate over uh expectation neutral grain and neutral game scripts then and uh, any other team except for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I think that the Vikings are going to move toward a lot more pass heavy in 2022 wheels up for Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, all the other ancillary pieces, uh, except for Irv Smith, who is also on my zero share list because there are reports right now that he may not even start the season with that knee injury. There are serious concerns about, and no one's talking about, there were no positive updates about Irv Smith and this mysterious knee injury that just came out of nowhere, it seemed, in the offseason last year. Irv Smith is a player I'm avoiding and allowing other people to take on in that tight end 20. Like, give me Evan Ingram in that spot. Give me uh, David Njoku in that spot. So, yeah, there, there are some zero-share players there. Yeah, Irv Smith has been a tight end that Jared and Kevin, my colleagues, like every year better than I do. And I, I, I've been waiting for, like you're saying, Evan Ingram and David Njoku and other guys down there. I just haven't seen, you know, he's been somebody I've mixed in some, but not somebody that I'm excited to get. 
So I agree with that one. I think that we, at least Billy and I remember um, mentioning it, but Debo Samuel has been really a zero, like completely zero share guy. And we have, we do have projections up on draft sharks and Jared did the first run of those. And then as you guys were kind of talking about, we had free agency, he kind of had to do them (laughs) again. So that is the frustrating part, but they are up there. And Debo Samuel his placement in those rankings, I could bring it up real quick, but he's well below where he's getting drafted behind DJ Moore and Keenan Allen, for example. So as soon as I saw Debo Samuel going at the one, two turn, I was like, that's probably not going to be for me. So it's one of those where I'm glad to see the numbers match up with just my initial feeling. Do you believe that they're going to retain Jimmy Garoppolo? Like there's been, smoke over the last week or so do you think that he still stays on the 49ers or is this Trey Lance's team I think that we have to wait and see what's going to happen I thought that it was surprising that people thought a a quarterback with right shoulder surgery who was not going to be throwing until July was going to move quickly like I don't I think that they would like to not have him I think if I were the 49ers I would be saying the same things they are we're fine with keeping Jimmy but I think Trey Lance is going to be playing quarterback unless something goes horribly wrong this summer the only way they keep him is if that contract gets adjusted. They're not going to keep him if he keeps the current contract. They'll cut him if they can't trade him. But mm-hmm. I, they, to me, it was like they came out and said early that, oh, you know, Trey Lance is going to be our starter. And then what does that do to the value of the quarterback that you're trying to trade? It's like, here, take my secondhand toy, right? But I want, you know, top dollar for it. It doesn't work like that. So I think this is more smoke than anything, them saying they're willing to keep him. And in order to boost his value back up or make people think that he's actually valuable. But at the end of the day, I could see a contract being reworked and him backing up Trey Lance. Now, Bradley, you talked about Elijah Mitchell some. Uh, it seems like you're relatively high on him. What's your case for him this season? It, at market value, I guess, is, is the important thing here. Right now on underdog, Elijah Mitchell is being drafted as the running back 24. And he's my sleeper pick to lead the NFL in rushing yards running backs who lead the league in rushing yards. Typically they're high volume rushers on competitive teams with elite traits. Looking at previous title holders, Derek Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, Adrian Peterson, these running backs like fit that archetype. And so does Elijah Mitchell when on the field, all he does is handle the majority of carries nine of his 11 games resulted in 17 or more carries and averaged almost 19 carries per game during the regular season. He had no fewer than 21 carries and an average of 23.6 carries during the final five regular season games, despite dealing with a fractured finger, a knee injury, and a concussion during that stretch. Shanahan, he trusts Elijah Mitchell to carry the load immediately upon returning from injury. So there's not this, oh, this shared workload. I'm not worried at all about Jeff Wilson. But it's not just the volume of rushes. Mitchell also averaged almost 88 rush yards per game. Five of those games surpassed 100. Even when Trey Lance got his late season start against Houston, Mitchell earned 21 carries compared to Trey Lance's eight. And we bring it back to the traits. Elijah Mitchell's player profile pegs as speedy, bursty. He's agile. He makes people miss. He, his player profiler comp, Jarek McKinnon, he ran a 4 4 40, 97th percentile, 86th percentile speed, core, speed score, 88th percentile burst score, 78th percentile agility score. Billy, you can replay the tape from a year ago when we were picking our deep cuts 
prior to the NFL draft at about this time last year. And I said, Elijah Mitchell, if he's given the full workload, he's going to be a special player. And I was right. So I think that I'm going to double down this year on Elijah Mitchell as a sleeper pick to lead the NFL in rushing yards. Oh, Bradley, you just jinxed him. You jinxed him, buddy. <laughs> you doubled down on Gaskins. <laughs> no, I, I like Elijah Mitchell, too. I, I, I like it, especially with them getting rid of Mostert. That was my biggest concern was Mostert re-signing. They didn't have the cap space, really, but um, Wilson's back, so I think the backfield is going to look pretty much the same here in 2022. My only real concern with Elijah Mitchell is that he gives us something like Miles Gaskin did with Miami and like Philip Lindsay with Denver, where we just saw his best season because everything broke right and other factors were kind of pointing to him being a just an okay prospect. He shared work in college, was a sixth round pick, uh, only got to Louisiana. So the, I think the the plus side of that is you just said he's going RB24. So it's like, even if I don't like him at RB24, he could be just he could be disappointing versus what he did last year and still be fine as RB twenty four. So the market is is helping. And the half PPR format, it's not like the reason I was big on Miles Gaston last year was because he was getting a target share. He was a 10, 12, 15% target share type of player. Elijah Mitchell's not that type of player. We're not depending upon Elijah Mitchell to catch five passes out of the backfield. He we're depending on him getting 17 carries, which we've seen happen a lot in his rookie year so yeah i'm i'm not worried about uh elijah mitchell and his workload going into the season as much as miles gaskin there were some some questions about ambiguity would they sign players things like that and there were questions about wide receiver the wide receiver room in miami was better in 2021 than it was in 2020 Billy, we're well over the hour mark at this point, but I want to give you a chance. Do you have any player that you want to trumpet in the vein of Elijah Mitchell? Um, just players that I'm high on? Yeah, any any particular player that you're going to champion this year, like Bradley is wearing his Elijah Mitchell mask and riding around the town? Uh, Darnell Mooney. I've been yeah. lo- loving the ADP. His target share, I, I have just everything about him right now, where he's going in drafts. He's the number one on the team. He was like, why does he were 13 in air yards? There's just so many. He's like top 15 or 20 in every single category in the NFL. He finishes wide receiver 23, and he's being drafted right now as like wide receiver 27 to 30 in drafts. Wide receiver so, 30. Yeah, and so I just think that at ADP, at cost, he's going to significantly outperform it, uh, especially seeing that they did nothing in free agency to really address the position. So I think that he's going to be looking at another 140 targets like he did last year, and, and at that ADP, I'll sign me up all day. Yeah, we how dare you? About- how dare you insult Byron Pringle? <laughs> yeah, and Equinemius St. Brown. Let's not forget. We talked about the running backs who avoided having their backfield add somebody. But Chicago signed nobody. They have no first round draft pick because of the Justin Fields trade last year. So it's getting tough to find that path where Darnell Mooney has significant competition. So I agree. It makes it even easier because his quarterback is probably going later than he should based on his upside for tournament play. So I think that only makes Darnell Mooney more attractive as well. Well, Billy Muzio is the high, the senior high stakes analyst for full-time fantasy at FF Muzio on Twitter. Billy, thank you for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me on. Bradley Stalder. You can find him on the fantasy data YouTube channel anytime, probably streaming a draft right after we finish this. He might be streaming right now as we're speaking the way things have been going. You caught me red handed. <laughs> I, I appreciate you guys 
taking breaks from the draft rooms to come talk to me because I know that we're all like, oh, I could be drafting right now. Yeah, thanks, no, it's man. Always, appreciate the always fun to talk football with some sharp minds. So appreciate you having us on. Absolutely. We'll do this again sometime. Whether you are grinding best ball drafts right now or focusing on dynasty rookie drafts, head to draftsharks.com. You can become a DS insider. Our 2022 rankings are live. Our constantly improving draft war room is live. Our enhanced dynasty league tools went live recently and our entire dynasty prospect scouting report series is totally free. So you can find a bunch of players available there, a bunch more coming as we move toward the NFL draft for my guests, Billy Muzio and Bradley Stalder and the entire draft sharks crew. I'm Matt Shouse saying thanks so much for swimming with us.